there is a mysterious struggle. And it talks about it in the book of Ephesians. This past week, um, I got to hear incredible uh, teacher of God's Word. His name is uh, Henry Blackaby. got to hear his son, Richard Blackaby. Some of you may have heard him before, but just a man who's uh, walked faithfully with God for a long, a long part of his life. And uh, his son is following after him. Uh, Henry is probably 80 years old uh, or somewhere close to that, and his son is probably getting close to 50. He has grandchildren that are uh, walking with Christ too. And uh, it's just a picture of a man who's finishing well. In contrast to that, this week I also uh, heard splashed across the headline news uh, a certain uh, pastor in a certain place and um, certain sin. And, and um, anyway, just uh, a man who is really taking a hit. And uh, I, don't even, I don't even know the man, uh, but I know as, as a person trying to be a spiritual leader and hearing about someone else as a spiritual leader who has uh, taken a hit uh, because of their own sin, um, it really, really saddens me. It really uh, also makes me reflect a lot. And I, I think a lot about um, men who have finished well. I like to reflect on that. It's enjoyable. It's encouraging. It motivates me. But I also reflect on men who fail. And I ask why. Because I don't want to go there. I don't want to do the same thing. Today, uh, I know that we've, uh, in the past few weeks, we, I've, I've talked about all the great things that God has given us. How He's given us His Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, He's given us the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And then uh, in Ephesians, we learn that there's this mysterious blessing where He's given us every spiritual blessing. It's available to us. Learn also that He's given us uh, a mysterious community, the body of Christ. So God has given us so many things, and, and you think, wow, man, this is great. I mean, this is wonderful. All these beautiful things that God has given us. Seems like we got everything going for us. And I think the thing that some of us forget is that um, it's not going to be a walk in the park. That there is a struggle in this world. And, and today what I want to do is I want to share with you a bit of what, what is that struggle? What is behind that struggle? And some hope that the Lord gives us that we can overcome in this struggle. And so some of this what I have to share with you is it, it's not meant to uh, make anyone afraid. But I, I do want you to know that I'm going to have to share with you some facts, biblical facts from the Bible, that at first uh, might seem a little overwhelming. But I do want you to know that what I hope to do today is, is present hope to you. So we'll get there. It just may take me a moment. And again, with my thoughts this week of, of the men I've seen and their lives, uh, it's really troubled me. And uh, at the same time, I've been inspired. So I, like us, I just want to read a passage from Ephesians. It's the last part. Ephesians chapter 6. It starts with verse 10. And it says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Oh, wait a minute. Does it say, finally be strong in yourself and your own power? No, no, no. Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full, was that partial armor? No, no. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle 
is against flesh and blood. Is that what it says? No. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to simply stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know why God has given us so much as Christ followers? You know why he has given us every spiritual blessing? You know why he has given us a community? Because the mission and the new life that he calls us to is not going to be easy. Some of you already know that. I didn't need to tell you that. It's not going to be a walk in the park. You're going to need every single gift he has given you. You really have. You're going to need every spiritual blessing. You're not going to be able to carry out this mission and new life on your own. You'll need a community. You can't do it by yourself. The Lord tells us in these words inspired, breathed by Him, that there is a mysterious struggle. And I want to share with you about this struggle. I want to share with you everything that's behind it and that there's great hope for this struggle. But exactly what is behind this struggle? Right after the Children of Light passage that we talked about last week, we immediately are told to take some specific action because we're going to have to take a stand against the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 11. The Lord goes on to reveal that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, wait a minute here. There is someone scheming against us? There, there is a being or beings that are not of flesh and blood? This isn't a, a parable story section of the Bible either, right here. This is talking about unseen evil spiritual forces as reality. Not play story, not myth, anything else, but it's real. Many of you know that there's, there's a real difference between the Western and Eastern culture's view of our relationship with the spiritual world. And for many years, the West has viewed the spiritual realm and the physical realm as two distinct places where there is no interaction between the physical or spiritual until after death. This uh, thought has been kind of carried out with uh, modern thinking, which you know began way after the just after the Middle Ages, has carried on really right on up to the the 60s and 70s of the 1900s, and uh, really during the Enlightenment period in the 1700s, it's a time when it was really stressed. Um, but Eastern culture has always seen our interaction with the spiritual realm in three distinct parts. The physical realm, uh, physical realm, spiritual realm, and then there's a third realm 
where the spiritual and the physical interact. And uh, in this new era today, which uh, we call the postmodern era, moving out of modernism, uh, it's really kind of a view that's more accepted now. Things are kind of changing. But I know some of you grew up with modern thinking parents, school teachers that would say that interaction with the spiritual realm is ridiculous. But let me just tell you this. Um, the Eastern or more postmodern view that says there's interaction with the spiritual realm is actually a more biblical view. I'm serious. Now some of you, you hear the word postmodern and you immediately think that everything about postmodernism is evil. There's some of us that think about the modern era and we think everything about that is good. But I want you to know that culture, there are good aspects of culture and there are bad aspects of culture. We have a higher standard than just the times that we're living in. We look to something else to guide us as to what is good and what is bad. And today, what I'm sharing with you is a biblical view that we do have interaction with the spiritual realm. Take a look at Jesus himself. He was a spiritual being taking on flesh and entering the physical world. Look at Jesus' interactions. In Luke 9, in just one chapter, you'll see several different accounts. A section of scripture giving a historical and biographical account of Jesus' meeting on a mountaintop. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration in our stories and little title headings in our Bibles. But what happened was he, he went to the top of a mountain and some, he, somehow he transformed. He looked physically different to Peter, James, and John. And at that moment, he, he spoke with Moses and Elijah. He had a meeting with them. These guys should have been dead a long, long time ago. But yet here he was interacting and talking with them. Later in the same chapter, you see Jesus being asked to deliver a young boy from an evil spirit that's possessed him. Jesus engages and says that he rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father in his right mind. In the next chapter following this, while responding to his disciples' reports that even demons were submitting to him, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, don't get excited about this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to do things you've done. But don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, Jesus talks about beings of the spiritual realm as if they are real. Jesus interacts with beings of the spiritual realm. Some of those spiritual beings are with Jesus, and he confers with them. And some are against Jesus, and he opposes them. So Jesus says this stuff is real. He names the beings that are with him angels. And he calls those spiritual beings that are against him. He calls them fallen angels or demons. I know some of you are kind of going, whoa, whoa, Shannon. It's kind of getting weird here. Don't freak out. Stick with me. Because I want to show you a few more things the Bible says about this part of the spiritual realm. Because of this mysterious struggle that is a reality. And you need to know about it so that you're not unaware. But I don't want you to be afraid. So just a couple of things before I go on and tell you more and share with you more things from the Scripture. I want to let you know a certain story that really encourages me and I hope will encourage you. In the old days before Jesus came, there was a prophet of God named Elisha. And he helped the armies of Israel know where their enemies were before every battle. Before every battle, Elisha would hear from the Lord and he would go tell the commander of the Israelite armies saying, 
the enemy is over here and they're going to plan to attack you at this place. And so the Israelite commander would listen and avoid. And this made the enemy furious. The enemy thought that there was a traitor among them. And so they, but they were all like, no, none of us are telling. And then someone, someone in there smart said, I think I know what it is. It's Elisha. It's this prophet. He's been telling them our every move as if he's been sitting right here. So what they do is uh, they send out a, a bunch of horsemen and chariots to surround the city that Elisha was residing in. Elisha had a, a servant who, uh, who I guess he was getting up to go get the morning paper or something. And he looks up as he picks up the paper and he looks around the city and he sees that they are surrounded by horsemen and chariots. And he comes back in and he's shaken. And he says to Elisha, what, what are we going to do? And Elisha responds by saying, don't be afraid. This is, I'm, I'm quoting this. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. An invisible army had been surrounding the physical army. This spiritual army was the army of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 and 17. I want you to know that there are spiritual forces that oppose God and those of his kingdom. But the Lord's spiritual forces outnumber those of the enemy's spiritual forces. The other thing I want you to know about this is that I know some of you are familiar with the symbol of Taoism, uh, the yin and the yang. It's supposed to say that, that the evil forces are equal to the good forces and they're in balance and they, they keep each other in check. Biblical view says that is not accurate. Biblical view says that good and God's forces outnumber evil. He is the one in control. There is not an equal balance between God and the spiritual forces that oppose God. It is not like a one equal power country warring against another equal power country. It's not like a Great Britain against France. Okay? It's more like a civil war has occurred. And there is a rebellion going on. And we've been dragged into this rebellion. So, I want you to know that there is not equal balance, that the Lord is supreme, and that scriptures say that by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. God is in control. Jesus told his disciples not to be afraid of spiritual bullies and to save their fear for God, the one who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands. So God doesn't want us to be afraid, all right? But we do need to be aware and have a healthy respect for those opposing spiritual forces and not to shrug them off. Just like you'd have a healthy respect for a rattlesnake you showed up and found on a trail when you're out hiking. You show some respect. You keep your distance, all right? I'm sharing the next bit of biblical information with you so that like the Apostle Paul says, you will not be unaware of Satan's schemes, 1 Corinthians 2.11. How about I just start right there with Satan? I know some of you are just like, what in the world? You actually believe that there is a, a, a being called Satan and he's real? Yes, I do. There's a spiritual being among those who oppose Christ who stands out among the rest. He seems to be the ringleader of the evil spiritual forces. He has been given several names throughout the Bible, all the names describing his evil nature. Here are some of those names that Jesus himself calls him. And again, we are Christ followers. We follow Jesus. I revere what Jesus says and what he thinks. And what he says and what he does goes. That's where I'm at. And here's what he says. He says, he 
calls this ringleader Satan. He calls him the evil one. He calls him the father of lies. He calls him Beelzebub. He calls him murderer and the prince of this world. In other places in the Bible, the leader of the evil spiritual forces is given these names. The adversary, the accuser, the prince of demons, the serpent or dragon, the tempter, the god of this age, and the ruler of the kingdom of air. Many times he's just called the devil, which many of his followers are also called devils or demons. As soon as you entered the kingdom of God and Christ moved into your life, you inherited a lot of good things, folks. A lot of good things. And we've already talked about these things. But you also inherited the enemy of God, I'm sorry to say. Because you stand with God now, the spiritual enemy opposes you. The Bible says that the enemy is making spiritual war against mankind, and especially those who obey God's commandments and are followers of Jesus, Revelation 12, 17. The Bible also says that the enemy is filled with fury because his time is short, Revelation 12, 12. He knows that God is going to put a stop to him soon, and he's going to do all he can to drag down as many people with him. So we've, been named, we've named the spiritual enemy, but how is he furiously working against us? How does he wage war? It's not like the world does. In the passage of Ephesians, it says that the enemy schemes against us, Ephesians 6.11. In Paul's letter to the young pastor Timothy, he tells them that the enemy sets traps. In the second letter to the Corinthians, we are told that the enemy masquerades as an angel of light, meaning he tries to make evil to appear to be good. Earlier in the Ephesians letter, we know that the devil looks for a foothold in our lives, meaning a weak place he can exploit, your Achilles heel, your chink in your armor, Ephesians 4.27. The spiritual enemy at times accuses us, Zechariah 3.1, tempts us to disobey God, Matthew 4.1, inflicts disease, Job 2.7, and had real specialty for lying and tries to oppose truth by deception. The enemy is even good at quoting scripture and twisting it and trying to confuse us. He tried to even do it with Jesus. Matthew 4, 6. The enemy really likes to oppose the truth and especially the truth that concerns Jesus Christ. So what's the ultimate goal of all this effort from the enemy against us? What is he out for? Why is he doing this? Why does he focus on us? Well, the Apostle Peter, who had a little experience with Satan. If you remember, there was one time that uh, Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you, Peter. There was one time that, that uh, Jesus even turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to stop me from my mission. Well, Jesus said that uh, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy is out to do. Peter said that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We may not take the enemy seriously, but the enemy is not playing around with us. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a spiritual enemy, and they want to take us down permanently. It's the truth. Now, before I get to the hope in this message, I have to let you know that there, this is only half of the cause for this mysterious struggle. You know where the other half comes from? It comes from us. Yeah, it's our own flesh. 1 Peter 2.11 says, We have sinful desires which wage war against our souls. 
In the letter of James, we get a pretty good description of what's inside us at times. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Sorry, guys. We aren't going always to be able to blame a demon for everything. Sorry. Sometimes it's, it's us. You can't say the devil made me do it. It's our own desires. But this is what is so insidious about the enemy. He doesn't make us do anything, but he exploits our weak flesh and tempts us with one thought at a time until we give ourselves over and choose to sin all by ourselves. Then the spiritual enemy, after helping to deceive us, turns around and begins accusing us, heaping guilt and condemnation. It is insidious. It's the way the enemy works. Our flesh, our wants and desires are our weaknesses. But where the spiritual battle really occurs is in our minds. It's why we're warned about this. The enemy knows. The enemy knows. And we're told in the scriptures, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Usually it starts with a lie that strikes at the core of us. Then when the enemy knows that we believe the lie, they build upon it even more. For example, guys, here's the lie that sometimes we buy. You don't have what it takes. We start believing it. Yeah, you're right, man. I don't, I don't have what it takes. And when we believe that lie, then more is built upon it. A lie like, you know what, your boss or your professor or teacher, he thinks you're stupid. Yeah, well, that's right, because I don't have what it takes. And from that point, the enemy begins to work on you with other choices. Choices to sin, envy, hatred, slander, violence, selfish ambition. And again, with some men, because they don't feel like they got what it takes, they feel like uh, they're not appreciated or whatever, they go look for comfort in a woman, and they choose to sexually sin. For women, it might be the lie... I'm not beautiful. The enemy gets you to believe that. He builds upon it. Maybe throws out something like this. You know what? My father never liked me as much as my sister. Well, yeah, that's obvious because I'm not beautiful. He starts building upon that. He tempts you to sin based off these lies, to envy, jealousy, hate, or sexual immorality. I hate the enemy. I hate how he does that and how he tries to trick us. I hate that there has to be a mysterious struggle. I hate it. So how in the world are we supposed to make it through this mysterious struggle? Here comes a great hope for those who are in Christ. God has given us even more to equip us so that we are not deceived by the enemy's schemes or taken in by their traps. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here are some of those spiritual weapons I want to share with you that God has given you to help stay on track with His mission and the new way of life that He's called you to. Take a look back at the Ephesians passage. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. The Lord is telling us we need to suit up for this mysterious struggle. If we want to remain standing in the ring, like Rocky Balboa, we're going to have to go the whole 15 rounds. And we may be barely standing, but we'll be standing. 
I know some of you maybe feel, like, feel that way when you go through the struggle. You feel like you're barely standing. But I want you to know you're still standing. It's all right. Put on, what's the first part of the armor that we're told to put on? Put on the belt of truth. You've got to have the truth wrapped around you like it's to never come off. What truth? The truth would be something like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, I know some of you feel like, man, I don't feel like a conqueror. I feel like I'm being conquered. Guys, this is the stuff. You got to start putting it on. But I want you to know that being a conqueror might mean, again, like Rocky Balboa in the ring, you may have just conquered by this much, but you conquered, okay? And the Lord can help us do that by His strength and by His power. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Romans 8. To put on the belt of truth, you've got to start rooting out the lies and replacing them with the truth. Why does this passage associate truth with a belt? I have no idea. I have no idea. I, you know, in the mind of Shannon McCready, I imagine that without the truth, it's like walking around with your pants down. And the enemy just wants to kick you where it hurts most. Dig up the lies, replace with the truth, and you'll keep your spiritual britches up. The armor list goes on with the breastplate of righteousness in place. There's that big word that everybody has trouble remembering what it means. Let me, let's try this. Righteousness is rightness with God and before God. You are in good standing with Him if you are righteous. When He looks at you, He sees only good and is pleased with you. That's our working definition. Now, I know we're all probably saying, I know myself and I know the things I've done. How can I ever be righteous or right with God? You can't on your own. It doesn't work. And that's why you need to borrow someone else's righteousness and put it on. Yeah, it's, it's Jesus' rightness from, that we put on. That's how it works. This righteousness that comes from Jesus and not yourself is what helps us against the accusations of the enemy. Romans 8 puts it this way. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. If you try to put on your own rightness as a breastplate, you try to be self-righteous, look out. You're going to take some hits. You're going to fall. I believe there's a connection between this righteousness and truth that we put on and the account of the believers who are described in Revelation 12, who overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are made righteous. And your testimony is the truth that we put on. What is that testimony? That testimony is Christ loved me when I was a sinner. You know, what do you do when the, when the enemy comes to you as, as the accuser and accuses you? I mean, he's got the facts right, I'm pretty sure. He's got the evidence. You know what I do when he, when he comes to me? I say, you're right. Yep. That's me, Sinner. What, liar, yeah, vain, yeah, sexually immoral, yeah, those things, yep, that's me. But you know what? Christ, I stand in Him. He has forgiven me, and I put on His righteousness. I wear that. The rest of our armor 
For our struggle includes feet fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which you are told is the word of God. These gospel shoes that you've been told to put on means you're going somewhere. When you put them on, it means you've accepted the mission. And that no matter where the gospel takes you, whether a safe place or a dangerous place, Jesus' words are true for you that he spoke to his disciples when he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The Lord will be with you when you put on these gospel shoes. We are told to pick up the shield of faith because the evil one shoots stuff at us. I think some of us feel like we're hiding, hiding behind tiny shields. We got this little, little bitty tiny shield of faith and it just doesn't seem to cover us. And we're taking hits all the time. How do you make that shield bigger? Well, our faith, according to the Bible, gives a definition like this. Being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. That's what faith is. So if you want your faith to grow, you need to know more about the God you cannot see. If you want your faith to grow, you've got to know what has been promised before you can ever stop hope, start hoping for it. Grow in what you know about the God you can't see. Grow in what you know about what that God has promised. Most of you are going to find it right in God's Word. That's where you're going to find those things. The helmet of salvation. Every guy knows that if you get your head knocked off, it's all over. You're dead. You've got to have something to protect your head. Your salvation is in Christ. If you try to find salvation elsewhere, you're going to lose it all in this battle. The sword of the Spirit, or in today's terms, maybe uh, the bazooka of the Spirit is the Word of God. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. I mean, he's using the military terms of his day. We'll use the military terms of our day, I guess. Bazooka of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But I want you to know that in this passage, the language indicates that it's not the written Word of God. It's the spoken Word of God. I know many of you have never memorized a single verse of the Bible in your whole life. But you need to get the Word of God from your mind to the tip of your tongue. you got to get it where you can speak it. One way I think might be helpful for most of us would be to get some good worship music going. A lot of us, a lot of that worship music has great scriptures in it, contained in it, or it is scriptures directly put to music. You know, Paul, Paul and Silas, they're saying to God in prison. Next thing they know, the prison doors are open and the chains fall off. Acts 16. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, followed the Lord's instructions and placed singers at the front of his battle line. As they sang, the Lord set an ambushes against the enemy, and the military guys didn't even have to fight that day. Second Chronicles 20. The Bible describes the Word of God as active and powerful. Get it out of the book and into your mind and heart so it can come out of your mouth with that bazooka sword power. You've got to be able to speak it. You've got to be able to say it. Gotta have, the, the Spirit's got to have something to grab a hold of you. It's got to be in you. Once you put on the spiritual armor, we're told to pray in, pray by, and pray through God's Holy Spirit. We're told to pray all kinds of prayers on all occasions. Basically, once you've got the armor on, Go where those gospel shoes take you and pray all the time and pray about everything. In this mysterious struggle, our prayers make a difference. I don't have any theological thing to say about how prayer works or why God asks us to pray. I just want you to know that prayer to God does work. And I know that many people think that prayer doesn't accomplish much. But I want you to know I believe it does. And I believe the Bible tells us that it does. Let me just give you a little rundown. 
Genesis 15, Abraham prayed to God, and at 100 years old, he was given a son. Genesis 24, Abraham sends a servant to find a wife for his son. The servant prays, he brings the wife home. Exodus 2, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And the reason why God was going to deliver them, I've heard my people praying. At the Red Sea, the Israelites are trapped. Moses prays, and God gives directions and parts the waters. Exodus 15, the waters at Merah are unfit for the Israelites to drink. Moses prays, and God makes the water drinkable. Numbers 11, Moses' sister has a bad attitude and gets struck with leprosy. How does she get rid of it? Pray. Elijah has a contest with the false prophets of Baal. They pray to their God, and nothing happens. Elijah prays to his God, and, sends, and God sends fire that burns up not only the sacrifice, but the stones that they're sitting on. Did that really happen? I think it did. Judges 16, Samson has been captured and his head is shaved. He leans up against a pillar and does what? He prays. 1 Samuel 1, Hannah goes to the temple and does something to get a child. What did she do? She prayed. Did that really happen? 1 Kings 3, Solomon needs wisdom. How does he get it? Praise. Daniel 2, people are having dreams. How does Daniel get understanding? He prays. 2 Kings 25, uh, King Hezekiah gets sick and is given 15 extra years to live. How does he get it? He prays. I could go on and on. But do you see a common thread running through all this? Something needs to be done. Somebody prays and then something happens. Somebody needs help. Somebody prays and then they get help. Right in the middle of all these accounts is prayer, prayer, prayer. God's people are people who come to him and pray and God does something. Did those things really happen? Did they? Those things in the Bible? Yeah, they did. I believe they did. And therefore, as far as a biblical view is concerned, do you think prayer is something that accomplishes things? Yes. I would say yes, mildly. So what in the world did I just tell you here? Pray, yeah. Yeah, I told you that there's a mysterious struggle going on, and we're in the middle of it all. In this struggle, there's an unseen spiritual enemy who opposes God and the people of his kingdom. We don't have to be afraid of this opposition because God is greater. In this struggle, the enemy tries to deceive us and exploit our weaknesses, even using our own flesh and desires against us. But God has given us spiritual weapons to help us in this struggle and tells us he will be with us to the very end. He hears our prayers and responds. And he tells us that in the midst of this struggle, that one day, as the scriptures say, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Romans 16, 20. And why is all this mysterious struggle going on? Because God is trying to accomplish something great. Why doesn't he just whisk Christ followers away immediately after they put their faith in Christ? Why does he keep us here in the midst of this struggle? Right at the end of this letter to the Ephesians, you can see it. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You and I are here to make known the mystery of Jesus Christ. That's what this battle is all about. That's what's going on here. There are still people that need to hear. And we need to be a part of this mission and this call. We need to be ready. And we need to know that it's not going to be a walk in the park. But we do need to know that God is with us and can help us. <coughs> I was really saddened by this man, Ted Haggard, who fell to sin. And I don't want to talk about a specific sin, but I do want to talk about what made me angry. What made me angry is that he could get so far away 
without someone saying something, without someone stopping them, without someone, someone noticing what was going on. And I just want you to know that, you know, spiritual leaders, I don't think many of us go down without a fight. And, and I, just, I just want you to know that, that I know for some spiritual leaders, they got targets on their back. But I want you to know that you got a target on your back too. And that in this, in this struggle, you've got to get in each other's faces in a good way. I don't mean get in each other's faces and be angry or whatever, but there's got, to people, there's got to be people in your life who recognize what's going on in your face. Why didn't that man, how come there weren't staff members that saw him every day at work or saw him weekly? How come nobody saw that there was something different on his face? How come nobody recognized their struggle? Maybe there was. Maybe there were people that, that stopped and asked what was going on. Maybe there were people that knew. What was going on with his wife? How come his wife didn't know what was going on? How come she had no perception about what was happening? Did they not share with each other what their needs were? Did they not look each other face in face and look each other in the eye and say, here's where I'm at, where my heart is at? Did this man not have a group of people that he sat with at least once a week, like one of our jail groups? People who could, again, look at your face and go, you know what, you're telling me that you're all right. You're saying everything's okay, but I don't believe you. There's something going on because I know your face. We've got to have people like this in our lives. I, I'm trying to surround myself with people on every side who are going to help me in this walk and help me to finish well. Guys that we meet with, uh, men that we meet once a month together, guys, you have permission. Ask me the toughest questions. Go ahead. Ask me how I'm doing in my relationship with my wife. Ask me about my money and how I'm spending it. Ask me how I'm doing sexually. How am I doing with my thoughts? Go for it. And no, young men that I'm meeting with, I'm going to be asking you the same thing. I'm going to get in your face because we can't let that kind of thing happen here. And those of you, you've got to start surrounding yourself with people who care about you and who love you and are going to call you on the carpet don't let the enemy destroy you. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not. He's playing for keeps, okay? Lord, I pray that you would enable us to be able to overcome, Lord, the struggle that we face every single day. And Lord, that you would be with us every hour of the day, every second of the day. And Lord Jesus, that you would live through us, Lord, by your power and by your might. And Lord, I pray for your spiritual protection on this group of people. Lord, I pray that we continue to pray as a body, as a group that is devoted to you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.